such a joy to to lead Southland Santa Ana with John the last two years. A fun fact is the church launched pretty much the same month that the Wisdom Pyramid came out. So I can always kind of mark that era of the church's birth and this book's birth in the same month. So it was a cool, busy, exciting month. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk about this book, The Wisdom Pyramid, um, the subtitle, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. And I think the subtitle explains what The Wisdom Pyramid is about, because if you just hear The Wisdom Pyramid, it sounds a little bit like a pyramid scheme or some sort of weird New Age thing, but it's really about feeding your soul in a post-truth world. The feeding your soul part gets at the kind of core concept of what I'm getting at, which is that we are wise in large part by virtue of the intakes that come into our soul. What is feeding our soul can either make us wise or foolish, right? So we have to pay attention to that. What sources are feeding our soul? But the second part of the subtitle, In a Post-Truth World, is also significant for what this book is about because it gets to the current context of our cultural moment. We are in a post-truth era. Some have called it an epistemological crisis. That's a big way of saying we don't know what's true anymore. We don't know what to trust anymore. And so we were, we were in a post-truth world. You could argue that we've been in, a, in this world for decades, but it's really accelerated recently. And back when I first uh, came up with the concept and started writing this book about six years ago, um, we were already talking about this post-truth world, the, the word of the year in the Oxford Dictionary, I think in 2016, was post-truth. So that shows you how much this idea was kind of um, catching on. But in the, in the six years since I started writing this book, it has become even more apparent just how much we're in this crisis of truth. Think about what's happened in our culture over the last six years. What's the big thing that has happened? COVID, the pandemic. The pandemic destroyed our trust in institutions, in expertise, in truth. What is true about COVID? We still don't know, right? It's changing every day still. It'll probably be many decades before we know kind of how it came to be, what exactly it was. And anyone who was claiming expertise in the moment as it was unfolding was doing no service to our collected trust in truth because it turned out to be wrong or it changed. So COVID has further accelerated this post-truth crisis. And uh, recently, in the last couple months, I would say that the technology, the rapidly developing technology of AI is arguably going to be more of a game changer technologically in terms of undermining, destabilizing truth than the internet and social media have been, which, man, they have done a number on our collective trust and truth. But AI could be even more significant. Uh, it's been one of the more interesting stories to follow, the, the emergence of all these uh, AI platforms. ChatGPT, has anyone played around with ChatGPT? It's kind of fun. Um, all the, the AI art platforms, has anyone like played around with those? Mid-Journey, Stable Diffusion. Um, it's kind of fun, right, to put the prompts in and see what the robots come up with, and it's impressive. Um, it's sometimes wild and weird, but it's cool that they can do it so quickly. I'm going to give a, a visual demonstration um, of a couple prompts that I gave to the open AI platform called Dolly, um, where you can just type in a prompt and it spits out a, an art, you know, a, their kind of interpretation visually of the words that you're, you're putting before them. So I gave the prompt Holy Spirit, and this is what I came up with. So very literal interpretation. 
I thought that, I was like, does AI have a sense of humor? Are they making a joke or are they just being very literal with Holy Spirit? Because that is a Holy Spirit, right? It's an alcoholic drink with wings and a, and a halo. So <laughs> the next one that I gave it, the next prompt that I thought would be interesting to see what it came up with is the Southlands tagline, gospel-centered, spirit-led, community on mission. I was hoping that maybe it would spit out like Southlands, you know, church, but this is what it came up with. So very strange, very strange, but the, the center thing in the middle, the orange thing, sort of resembles the Southlands S, right? So maybe the AI is pulling something from the internet that associates that phrase with Southlands. But Shop, I have no idea what that means. Like, does anyone have any idea what they might be getting at with Shop? I don't know. Okay. The, the last one, which is kind of a personal um, one for me, I gave the prompt, Brett McCracken having coffee with Terrence Malick in a Parisian cafe in the style of Claude Monet. And this is what it came up with. So, yeah. So that's me with the hat, I think, and that's Terrence Malick, a young Terrence Malick. Um, he looked like that sort of in the 70s. But there you go. So as you, see, as you can see, you know, this technology has a ways to go, but uh, we have to remember that this is essentially like the dial-up era of AI technology. If we think back to the early days of the internet, we kind of laugh at how rudimentary it was 20 years ago. I think in 20 years, we're going to look back to what I just showed you and laugh because, oh man, look how rudimentary AI was back then. And that's scary, right? To think about this is what they're doing now. What could it be a decade from now? Because right now it's in its infancy. You know, e even before AI, as I mentioned, we were already in this post-truth crisis. It was already hard five years ago to go online, to go on social media, and to, to be able to tell what is real, what is fake. Is, is what I'm reading, is what I'm seeing real? Is it manipulated? Is it propaganda? Is it fake? Like, that has already been a challenge for us before AI technology, but now with AI, which can replicate human writing, it can replicate human voices. Have you seen these technologies? Super scary. It can replicate human countenances, faces, bodies through deep fake technology. It's only going to get more difficult to look around us in the modern world and to be able to tell what is true, what is real. Um, so as Christians, we have to think about how do we respond to this, this crisis of truth? And I would argue that it boils down to one word, and that's the word we're talking about this week, wisdom. Wisdom is what gives us the ability to discern right? Not just to consume information, not just to process it like an algorithm, a robot can process and store, can store information. Wisdom is the ability to evaluate information, to be able to have an intuitive sense for the integrity of information, uh, for how much any given piece of information accords with God's truth, uh, and, and how we should apply information um, in everyday life. So there are a lot of reasons why wisdom is vitally important for anyone, but especially for leaders in the church. And I, I would say one of the biggest reasons why we need to kind of double down on cultivating wisdom in our lives is because in this cultural moment of this technology, wisdom is one thing that distinguishes us from robots. It's something they can't have. 
as we get deeper into this age of AI, um, people are going to rely more and more on AI systems for everything. Gathering knowledge, uh, making decisions, navigating complex questions, realities. It's not out of the question um, that one day, instead of someone going to a human therapist or a counselor, that there will just be a, an AI app or an AI program that kind of functions as your counselor or therapist, and someone will just go there for advice. It's not out of the question that um, if you're sick, instead of going to a human doctor or talking on the phone to a human nurse, there's just going to be an AI kind of nurse hotline program that gives you medical advice, even like orders prescription medicine for you, gives you a diagnosis. And here's one that hits really close to home. Imagine in the future, instead of having a spiritual seeker go to a human pastor or a church leader, they just open an AI app that has been designed to offer pastoral counsel. I was just joking with um, John earlier, like what if uh, there's an AI system in the future that can replicate Tim Keller's pastoral, collected pastoral wisdom? not out of the question that that could exist. And you could, you could go to an app and say, I want pastoral advice on this issue in my life in the style of John Piper or in the style of Tim Keller. There's enough out there on the internet from these guys where you know, AI could reasonably replicate what they would say. So, okay, dystopian, very, very scary to think about. Um, and if it, if it does scare you, I think it should. Um, AI is a little scary, and not for the reasons that like Terminator 2 would make you scared of it, or the recent movie Megan about the crazy robot killer doll. Did anyone see that? I saw it. I, I like those movies. <laughs> it's disturbing because um, there's a world of difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? And if we're in a world that confuses that and kind of is okay with just having knowledge and information and doesn't see the need for something wholly different, which is wisdom, that's going to be problematic for our world. Um, it's sort of like the difference between a doctor who is newly out of med school and has all the information, all the knowledge in the world, very fresh, right? They know, you know, how to classify diseases and diagnose things, but they don't have the years of experience that gives wisdom. So given the choice, if I'm sick between like a 25-year-old fresh out of med school doctor or a 60-year-old been in the profession of medicine for 30 years doctor, I'm going to go with that one because they're like more likely to have wisdom rather than just knowledge. So artificial intelligence is always going to have more knowledge than us. Let's just be honest. Like they already have way more knowledge than we can ever have, but they will never have... Um, more wisdom because they can't have wisdom at all. Now, I've been curious as to whether AI would agree with that statement. So I actually typed into ChatGPT recently the question, can artificial intelligence be wise? Okay, so here's what the AI um, responded in like 10 seconds. And this is very interesting how good this is. Here's their answer. <clears throat> Artificial intelligence can perform tasks that might seem wise, such as making decisions based on large amounts of data, but it cannot truly be considered wise in the same way that a human can be. Wisdom involves a deep understanding of the world and human nature combined with a capacity for empathy, creativity, and moral judgment. Interesting, moral judgment. These qualities are not yet, not yet, within the reach of current artificial intelligence technology, which is limited to processing data, making predictions based on that data. 
Additionally, AI systems lack consciousness and the ability to have personal experiences and emotions, which are fundamental aspects of human wisdom. AI systems may be able to learn from data and make decisions, but they'll, they don't have the capacity to reflect on their own experiences, understand the consequences of their actions, or make moral judgments based on empathy and compassion. And then in conclusion, it says, while AI has the potential to augment human decision-making and provide useful insights, it cannot replace human wisdom. So, okay, ironically, that's a pretty good answer from the robots, <laughs> like, pretty good. I don't know that I would have changed much about that answer. Um, <clears throat> but there are some things I would have added, um, and that's where I want to kind of lead us today as we think about wisdom. Um, one thing I would add is that a key reason AI can't be wise is that wisdom comes in relationship with God. Um, and and there, the answer AI gave hinted at this when it talked about how you know, AI can't have emotions, it can't have kind of human kind of empathy, relational type um, behavior. And I think the key really is relationship with God for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Um, there's many verses in the Bible. Christine mentioned one from Job 38 where wisdom is described as the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Both of these verses um, necessitate relationship, right? You can't fear something you're not in relationship with. You can't have reverence and worshipful awe before someone unless you're in relationship with them. You can't ask someone for wisdom unless you have a relational kind of connection to them. So wisdom is about relationship with God. It's not just about knowing about God. Um, some people might confuse wisdom for just having like a lot of cerebral head knowledge about God. But again, that's something robots will have. You could type in you know, to chat GPT today, tell me 100 true things about the God of the Christian Bible, and they would you know, spit out 100 accurate things. So wisdom is not about knowing things about God. Wisdom is about knowing God intimately in a worshipful, reverent relationship with the creator as his creatures. So fear of the Lord speaks to this kind of healthy deference um, to his authority and just knowing ourselves in our right place as creatures. He is the creator. His truth is far more trustworthy than my truth, our truth. We don't find wisdom by looking within ourselves, following our own hearts, but by looking to God and trusting him with all of our heart. That's what it means to fear the Lord. That's why it's the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 sums it all up, I think, beautifully. A very familiar passage here, but it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun and turn away from evil. I mean, that right there is so countercultural if you stop to think about it. Like, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's everything that our culture hates in that verse, right? Repentance, turn away from evil. Do not be wise in your own eyes. We're such a narcissistic kind of look within yourself age. And yet this is the key to wisdom. This is, this is it in a nutshell. So what does it look like to be characterized by this sort of wisdom? How can we build habits and practices in our lives that lead to this sort of wisdom? Well, this is 
why I came up with the wisdom pyramid, graphic, and book. And so my claim here is that in order to be wise, again, it's really about paying attention to what is feeding us, what is making up, um, what constitutes our diet of what we're attending to, um, what is shaping our, not only our minds, but our hearts and our loves. So what the food pyramid was for our physical health, if you guys remember the food pyramid, the wisdom pyramid is for our spiritual health, for our, for our wisdom. Um, we are what we eat, right? So it matters what is coming into us. It'll either make us healthy and wise or foolish and unhealthy. So the wisdom pyramid, you can put the, the graphic up on there. It's just guidance for what we should consume and what we shouldn't consume and in what proportions, right? So I'll quickly kind of go through the levels then I'll talk more about them. But from the bottom up, it's the Bible, foundational category for our wisdom, the church, nature, books, the guitar is beauty, just kind of a stand-in for beauty and the arts. And then at the very top in the fats, oils, and sweets category is smartphones, social media, the internet, all of that. Now, a couple things I'll say about just the structure of this. Um, <clears throat> one is that everything on here I, I'm saying is or can be a source of truth that can be healthy for our for our wisdom, but it matters, the important thing is that it matters how we order them, right? What are the proportions that we focus on in our diet? Because part of why our society is so foolish right now, part of why we as individuals are just kind of feeling sick, you know, mental illness is on the rise, all of us are kind of struggling, it's because we flipped it, right? If we're honest, most of us would say that fats, oils, and sweets category probably occupies more of the base level of our day-to-day -day intakes. We look at the phone first thing when we wake up, we, we constantly pull it out of our pocket every chance we get to scroll, swipe, do whatever, all day, every day. It's, it's the foundation of our diet. And no wonder we're becoming fools, right, rather than <laughs> gaining in wisdom. So we have to have the proper proportions. It, and one thing that um, people ask is just how you order the specific categories. Like, yeah, the Bible makes sense at the bottom, but why is like nature where it is? Um, and the thing that I say to that is it's all about God. God is the source of wisdom. He's the standard of it. Um, if, if, if true wisdom comes from him from above, then it makes sense that we gain wisdom in proximity to God. So from the bottom up, the, the categories are structured in proximity to God. So at the bottom, the Bible, this is the closest we have to the source, right? It's God's direct speech to us. There's no mediator. There's the, the Holy Spirit, I guess, is the mediator as the author of scripture and the interpreter of scripture to us. But nothing is better in terms of like fresh water from the fountainhead than scripture. Like it, it, is, it is wisdom given to us and it's such a gift for us that we, I think, take for granted. It's God's special revelation. But then the church is proximity to God because it's his presence among his people. The church is his institution. No other institution in this world was, is founded by God, right? Everything else is human institutions that humans have kind of come up with, but the church is his institution. It will outlast every other human institution. It's the body of Christ on earth and it's, it's a huge source of wisdom for us, not only in the local church, kind of embodied presence in the local church, but the church across time, I would argue. Church tradition is a huge source of wisdom. 
nature, so this is proximity to God as well because nature is God's creation. It's his handiwork. It reveals things about the creator. The Bible itself tells us this, right? Psalm 19, Romans 1. You know, Jesus himself uses nature imagery constantly to communicate truth. So there's something about his creation and the way he designed it that accords with the special revelation of scripture and can supplement its truths. And so nature needs to be a, a big part of our wisdom diet, um, which is great. It's good news, right? That going outside, going on walks is actually something that is hugely important for your wisdom. It connects you to God's reality in a disembodied, surreal age that kind of disconnects from reality often. Now, the, the upper part of the pyramid, again, can be a great source of truth, but we're getting kind of further removed from the source. Like um, everything in the, in the first three categories is really kind of God-created things. Books are man-created things, but what, what is man? Man is an image bearer of God. So by common grace, because we bear God's image, much of what we can write and explore intellectually can contain truth, right, and insights because we are wired to explore the mysteries of the world and write books that explore those things. And so books can be a great source of wisdom. We just have to kind of take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, knowing that every human author of a book is fallible, right, myself included. Not everything in my books is, you know, gospel truth. There's probably some things I could have said better or outright, you know, misleading because I'm a fallen person and every book author is that. And then beauty is similar, right? So much great goodness and truth can, can come in the realm of the arts. And it's so good for our wisdom, I think, to engage with the arts and beauty because it reminds us that wisdom is emotive and affective, not just cerebral. And, the, and beauty kind of works on those levels. But as we know, um, much in the realm of the arts, whether it's Hollywood, you know, movies or music can go wildly off the path of wisdom into the, the terrain of foolishness. And so we have to take uh, what's, what's in those upper categories with a grain of salt. And then finally, um, the internet, social media. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have to say much about this because you all know, but it, it really is kind of the equivalent of digital, it's like digital junk food. It's like when you go on your phone and you're constantly scrolling through TikTok or whatever, aimlessly wandering online, it's the equivalent of just stuffing your face with Twinkies all day. Like it's not good for your spiritual health. And to go back to the proximity to God angle, like the reason why social media is at the top is because it's the furthest removed from God because it's not even human most of the time. It's algorithms, you know, increasingly it's AI that's running things. So there's not even a, an image bearer component here. It's just kind of, you know, AI robots. Now, this is not to say that nothing good can ever be found online. I work for a website, so I kind of have to believe that good things can be found online. I work for the Gospel Coalition. And the, the thing I would say, though, is that what we're doing in that top category as a website on the internet really is to point people to the lower categories. We exist to point people to the Bible, to help them interpret the Bible, apply it to their lives. We really love pushing people to the local church. That's a huge emphasis of what we do. So I would say, you know, 
if you're online, if, even if you're on TikTok, like if it's a Christian kind of apologist who's like helping you understand the Bible or appreciate the church or even appreciate God's creation, it's a nature documentary or something on Netflix, like that's a great thing. That can be good for your wisdom. But just be careful that you're intentionally going to those places online rather than just aimlessly wandering because that's where the trouble is found. So the basic idea here of the wisdom pyramid is just simply orient your habits around the things of God, right? Build your life, build your loves around his truth, his church, his creation, and you'll be in a better position to, to gain wisdom. And what will that look like? If we, if we do that, if we orient our lives in a way that kind of looks like this, where our souls are being nourished in the rich nutrients of truth, what will our lives be marked by? This is the question that I, I seek to answer in the last chapter of the book, which is called What Wisdom Looks Like. And in that chapter, I propose three kind of countercultural characteristics that I think can really mark um, people of wisdom in this digital age of AI that we live in. So you can put the next slide up. The three characteristics are people who are wise are exercise discernment in a too much world and inf information overload world. They exercise patience in a too fast world, a hyperspeed goes way too fast for wisdom world. And they exercise humility in a too focused on me kind of narcissistic look within yourself world. So to close, I'll just go through each of those in a little bit more depth. Um, so first, discernment in a too much world. This is, this is how we sift through the glut, right? Of all the things that come across our feeds, we're so overstimulated, there's so many voices coming at us all the time. Wisdom is the ability to be discerning, to be able to recognize quickly, this is true and this is false. And how do we do that? Well, it goes back to the wisdom pyramid structure. If the Bible really is our foundation, if we know the Bible, if we have a good grasp of God's truth in his special revelation of scripture, it will put us in a great position to evaluate any claim being made in the upper kind of categories. So imagine reading, you're reading a book and it's a pretty good book, but there's something the author says that you're like, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to evaluate the merits of that argument. Well, if you know the Bible well, if it really is your foundation of wisdom, you should be able to check it against the Bible. Is what this author is saying contradicting what God says in his word? If so, it's not gonna be a helpful source of wisdom for you. If it's not contradicting God's word, then it's fair game. By common grace, it's something that can help you in your wisdom. Or if you're, imagine you're on TikTok and you come across like a deconstructing, you know, influencer on TikTok who's making some argument against the trustworthiness of scripture. And you're trying to evaluate that. How do I, how can I respond to this TikTok argument about why I shouldn't trust the Bible? Well, in this case, you can't really go to the Bible to answer that question. That's a circular argument. But the church, if the church truly is a foundational part of your life and your wisdom diet, going to the community of Christians in the church to help process through these doubts and these questions that you're coming across on TikTok, you're gonna be in a good position to exercise discernment in evaluating those things because it's not just you isolated trying to make a judgment. You have the wisdom of the community, right? 
to Sam's point about like, we are made for community. Like we are not good on our own. We need each other in the church. And it's so important for our wisdom that we have the church for discernment, right? Because we are not the most discerning people left to our own devices. But in a community of wisdom, we can be a lot more discerning. Okay, so secondly, patience in a too fast world. This is really the wisdom of James when he says, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak. That's the, that's the opposite of what happens most of the time on social media where we're kind of quick to speak, quick to become angry and slow to listen. In this technological um, internet, social media world, we are beckoned to like quickly share our opinions, like hot takes on this and that. But wisdom is a slow burn. Wisdom calls us to hold our tongue, to maybe give a cold take, if we give a, a take at all. And that's so countercultural, right? In our, in our sped up kind of fast paced world, it's unwise, I think, in large part because it doesn't have the patience to slow down, evaluate the merits of things, kind of think carefully about what I'm about to say. So the wisdom pyramid structure, again, can really help us with cultivating patience. You know, the, the Bible, if the Bible is your foundation, the Bible is not an instant gratification sort of experience, right? It's, you can't read it in one sitting. It's really hard to understand. You have to spend, you know, years of your life reading it, rereading it, um, reading it in community, going to church, hearing pastors kind of um, exposit it. Uh, so the Bible requires patience. And by submitting yourself to the requirement of patience, with the Bible, you're going to grow in the virtue of patience. You know, the church as well, um, I think, cultivates patience because we all know that we can go faster as isolated individuals. And, and anytime you join any sort of community, it slows you down. It's clunky, it's messy, and that's true of the church too. You can go fast down any path, whether it's the path of deconstruction or the path of finding your own spiritual you know, epiphany. You can go faster alone, but as Alan Frow likes to say, you go farther together, right? Faster alone, farther together. And in the church, it does slow things down, but in a way that is so, so good for our wisdom. To have the accountability of people who say, hold up, let's slow down, let's go through this process together that will build in you patience that will bear so much fruit for your wisdom. Okay, and then the third and final mark of wisdom that I wanna talk about is humility in a too focused on me world. This is just the admission that, you know, I am not the best source of wisdom. God is, you know. Pride, as Proverbs remind us, is folly. Looking within yourself, being wise in your own eyes, that's folly, but again, Wisdom is the fear of God, the healthy reverence and submission to, to his truth and an acknowledgement that there is a vast chasm between his knowledge and, our, and ours and mine. He is God, I am not. He is creator, I am creature. And I think the wisdom pyramid structure, again, helps cultivate humility in us. The Bible requires us to be humble. It requires us to come to it with a posture of my intuitions, my lived experience is a lesser authority than what I'm about to read in the Bible. God's truth is a higher authority. It may not make sense to me on first read, but I'm going to kind of roll with it and humbly kind of process this in community, knowing that what God is saying here matters so much more than what the culture is saying on any given issue or what I think is true on any given issue. 
And again, the church as well can really cultivate humility because it requires us to admit, I can't do this life on my own. I can't do Christianity on my own. I need my brothers and sisters around me um, being a mirror to me, telling me when I'm wrong, confessing to each other as, as Sam so helpfully talked about. Even nature, I would argue, is so good for our humility. You know, just go out at night when the stars are out. Um, go to the Grand Canyon and stand before the vastness of it. Nature is so huge and massive. It really puts us in our place. It reminds us that we are, again, we are the creature. We are not the creator. Um, you know, some of the most beautiful words in um, Job um, are in the, the part in Job 38 where, you know, God comes to Job out of the whirlwind and basically puts him in his place and says, where were you? when I laid the foundations of the, the world. That's actually, um, to bring in Terrence Malick again, sorry, this is me geeking out, uh, in his movie, The Tree of Life, which I would argue is cinematic wisdom literature. Um, the epigraph, so the first thing you see on screen in that movie, The Tree of Life, is Psalm 38.4, those words, where were you when I laid the foundations? And the whole movie is about Job and suffering and kind of wrestling through what Job wrestled through. But nature reminds us, right? This beautiful, huge cosmos that God created is so much bigger than us. And anytime we kind of start to think that we are, we are a creator who can kind of wield the power of manipulating nature to our liking, that's a really dangerous place to be because we start to think that we are God, right? We replace the creator and the creature. And we're seeing that in our culture, right? It's, it's everywhere in our culture, even body, our, our own bodies, which are part of nature, instead of kind of um, gratefully accepting the design, uh, we think we can manipulate them to our liking. So if we don't like the gender assigned at birth, we just change it, right? We change our biology to our, well, we don't change our biology, we change our kind of gender identity to go against the biology of the creator. And that's just one of many signs of the foolishness of our age, which doesn't seek nature as a true kind of uh, source of wisdom. It's something that we can just manipulate to fit our whims and fancies. So these are the three marks of wisdom that I just wanna leave you with, challenge you with, in this world, let's be leaders of discernment, patience, and humility. We want to be people who lost seekers, suffering people come to, rather than going to Google, rather than going to ChatGPT for advice. We wanna be leaders of wisdom who embody these attributes such that people come to us, not because we hold any magic power, or that we are wise in and of ourselves, but because we are channels and agents of God's wisdom. That's what it means to be a leader. That's what, that's what the call of a spiritual leader is, is to be a channel of the Spirit's wisdom spoken through us to, the, to those we are pastoring and leading. And so are we, are we leaders like that? That's the question I wanna leave us with. Um, are we discerning in a world lacking discernment? Are we patient in a world lacking patience? And are we humble in a narcissistic, self-obsessed world? So let me pray for us to conclude. Uh, Lord, we desperately need your wisdom. This world is confusing. It's complicated. We're losing our grip on truth. And, and even those of us who know cerebrally that you are 
the way and the truth and the life. We ourselves are so tempted by the siren songs of the algorithm and the foolishness on display that is so, um, so tempting um, and yet so corrosive for our soul and for our wisdom. And so I just pray for these leaders in this room that you would do a work by your spirit of growing them in wisdom and, and giving them the ability to instill habits in their lives, even just small tweaks that they can implement this week to, to better orient themselves around you and the nourishment that comes from a life, a life oriented around you in every respect. In all our ways, we acknowledge you. We want to be people like that. In all of our ways, we acknowledge you as the source of wisdom, not ourselves. So I just pray this in your name. Amen.